0: This is the reading for this morning. Job 1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and he had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord And Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. When suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house, it collapsed on them, and they are dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came... From my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. The word of the Lord.
1: Church, will you pray with me? Dear God, I I I thank you for who you are for the good and loving God that you are, for the wise and powerful God that you are, for the kind, loving, gentle, peaceful God that you are. You are the God who makes a way You are the God who changes everything. You are the God who has lit my path. You are the God who sent your son to lay down his life so that I may be saved. God, We thank you for allowing us to be present here with one another this morning for the ability to freely worship you. Lord, I thank you for Will and his willingness to come and share what he has been working on, what you have been working in him. Lord, I pray for comfort and confidence I pray that your word would be spoken to us this morning. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to be ready to receive it. Lord, I pray as a church body, you would help us to trust you this morning. You'd help us to give you all that we have. And Lord, please keep that spirit working inside of us. Lord, I thank you once more. You are good. I pray your blessing over this service, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Um, As Will comes up, I just want to introduce him briefly. Will is a very good friend of mine, as well as Jacob and, and a lot of our college students. Will is in seminary right now. Uh, he graduated last year uh, with a communications degree from UTC and is now uh, pursuing a seminary degree um, and looking to serve the Lord um, in whatever way the Lord calls him. So uh, we're super thankful for Will's willingness to come to our church and serve um, by sharing the word with us. And um, that's all I got. Will's a pretty awesome guy. So uh, I'll hand it over to you.
2: Oh, dear. I think I made everything, broke everything. There we go. (laughs) Love you, Wow, I I love you too, Jeffrey. Uh, Thank you for that very kind introduction. Um, As Cameron said, I've known Cameron and Jacob for some time, um, and so uh, a lot of people in that first row there are some of my closest friends, so it really is a joy um, to be here with you this morning and to be able to, you know, study God's Word, share with you um, what God has laid on my heart, um, to be able to praise God with you. So um, hopefully um, it's a joy for you all as well. Guess we'll just jump right into this thing then. They didn't give me a whole lot of direction. So if I start to mess up, somebody wave at me or something. Um, I was trying to think of how to start this out because we're obviously going to be talking about jo- Job and I have a certain direction that I want to go with this. Um, so I'm going to start with this question and it's kind of a broad question just to get you thinking, hopefully, in the correct direction. And then I'm going to give you an example to follow it up. But my question's going to be. Um, what is reality how do we define what is real and what is not real so i'll give you a couple of seconds just to kind of think through that how would you define what is real i don't know if like My mind automatically went to like five different sci-fi films that I've seen in the past. I don't know if anybody else had that experience. It's kind of a a very broad question. It's a philosophical question. I'm going to start with this example, if you'll bear with me for just a second. Hopefully, you'll understand where I'm going with this as we dive into the the first chapter of Job. Um, But imagine that you have these three men. And these three men were born and raised and spent their entire life inside of a cave. They've never left the cave. They've been chained to the wall of this cave. And the wall adjacent to them, the wall that they have looked at their entire lives, has this screen. On the other side of the screen is the real world. It's everything that you and I experience. Cars passing by, people walking by, a dog, whatever. The light from the sun shining on that screen casts the shadow of the real world onto the screen. So these three men have spent their entire lives looking at shadows of the real world. But to them... This is their reality. This is all they've ever experienced are the shadows of what you and I see every day. And then imagine one of these men is set free of his chains. He exits the cave, he goes outside, and he starts to experience what you and I would call the real world. He sees that the shadow of the car is actually something a lot different. He sees that these sounds that he's been hearing or these humans that he's seen walking, they're more than just a shadow so he starts to experience things differently so his experience has changed now here's the question when he was in the cave what he was looking at was it not real well obviously not it's what he experienced but it wasn't all of reality there was more to it and by able by being able to exit the cave he's able to see that there was more to what he was experiencing now again this is a crazy, crazy example. This is a thought experiment that Plato went through in his, his groundbreaking philosophical work, The Republic. You can go super deep with this. This is not my point. Obviously, we're here to study scripture, but I think it at least helps us understand this idea that you and I experience things differently. And what we experience is very real to us, but it doesn't guarantee that our experiences are always the full picture. And that's what we have here in this first chapter of Job. We have a man who experiences something very tragic, very hard to deal with, but he doesn't have the full picture. And you and I get the full picture. Job does not. So let's look at what we see as Job's reality. It starts out with a very basic description of Job. We read it earlier. Look at how Job is described. It says, in the land of Uz, where there lived a man whose name was Job. So it tells us where Job is from, right? I've been here, I don't know. An hour, I've already been asked like three different times where I'm from. That's okay, right? It's what we do. We want to know where people are from. We relate to that kind of that kind of question. We like to talk about where we're from. It helps define who we are. So we see where Job is from, right? So second thing, this man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. So we see Job has a set of values. He values or he fears God. And because of his fear of God, it causes him to shun evil. All of us have something that we value. Now, my hope would be, my prayer would be, if you're here this morning, that your values mirror what Job values, that you have a healthy fear of God, and because of that, you shun evil. But even if you don't, even if your values stray from that, you still have something that you hold to, something that's important to you. Every person does, and that helps direct how you live your life. We're going to see how Job responds to his crisis is heavily connected to what he values and what he does not value. So we see Job. He's from the land of Uz. He values God. He fears God. What else do we see? He had seven sons and three daughters. So now we get a little glimpse of his family life. I think this is you know, very applicable for you and I. Family is important, right? If you're, I've I've never been a parent, so I'm just guessing here. I know how my parents respond. Usually when my parents meet someone new, they're like, hi, I'm Todd, I'm Kim. And then the first thing they do is they like drag all of their 20 million kids out in front. And they're like, here's all the kids, right? So family is important to them. It's become their life. I've, I've taken over their life completely. What can I say? So that's what Job is, right? He has family and it's important to that, important to him. We see that, right? What else does it say? He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and he had a large number of servants. So now we get a glimpse into what Job does for a living. and That's what everybody back then did for a living. But also we see that God's blessed Job. He's wealthy, to speak in modern terms. God has blessed Job with what he has. Again, how often are we asked the question, what do you do for a living, right? How often do we spend thinking about our possessions, things of that nature? All of this is relatable, and there's a reason why the author of Job starts out with this information. And then finally, we see he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. So we get a glimpse into Job's reputation and, again, his social status. All of this we can relate to. We define ourselves oftentimes by these same things right this is this is job's resume or i don't know if resume is the best word this is job's bio for his instagram right he he lists all of that and he throws his like favorite movie quote on the end of it so this is who job is this is job's reality this is how job experiences the world and i don't think it's too dissimilar from how you and i experience the world we all have these experiences that define how we see the world we have family we have a job we have values we have a social status we're from a certain area. A culture has, has influenced us. All these things are important. They're important to Job. But then we see where Job's circumstances change greatly, and it happens extremely quickly. Everything that Job cares about, everything that Job values, is taken in an instant. His family is gone. The only one that's left is his wife, and we find out in chapter 2 she's not necessarily pro-Job anymore, right? She, she kind of becomes an obstacle, we see that his, his job and his possessions, all the things that would define him in that area, they've changed. They're taken away from him. We see that his social status has changed. When his, when his friends come and they engage in conversation with Job throughout the remaining of the chapter, they see Job as different. He, they no longer see him as the greatest man in the whole region. They see him sitting in the pile of this ash with his entire life destroyed. And they start to question, who is Job? Like, was he really the greatest man in the whole region? Was he really faithful to God in the way that we thought, right? And so all of these things are changed, and the only thing that Job has left is his values. And the question becomes, and the whole book of Job is about, is he going to change his values? Is he going to quit fearing God? Is he going to quit shunning evil? Is he going to turn his back on God? Or is he going to remain faithful to God? And this is the question that they seek to answer throughout the book of Job. Now, again, I don't think this is too dissimilar from us. Hopefully, none of us have ever experienced something like what Job experienced, where our entire reality has changed, where everything is taken from us. But unfortunately, it does happen. Right now, there are people in the Gaza Strip or there are people in the Ukraine whose lives are completely flipped. And everything that they care about is taken. There were people a few weeks ago in Maine whose families were taken from them. This inexplicable act of, of, of hurt was put upon them. Right, Our lives can change completely. And then the question is, how do we respond to that? This is where Job is at. Why do these things happen? Why do bad things happen? Why is there sin in the world? Why do good people, for lack of a better term, good people experience bad things? That's the question that we're given here, and Job has to kind of deal with this when his circumstances change. Now, I mentioned earlier that we have access to a view that Job doesn't have, which is God's view. We can see how God sees Job's situation. So this is very insightful for you and I, but keep in mind, Job, he doesn't understand this, right? This is just for the readers. We find this in verses six through 12, starting in verse six, it says, "One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with him. The Lord said to Satan, "Where have you come from?" Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, "Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. "'Does Job fear God for nothing?' Satan replied. "'Have you not put a hedge around him, his household, and everything he has? "'Have you blessed his works and his hands "'so that his flocks and um, herds are spread throughout the land? "'But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, "'and he will surely curse you to your face.' "'The Lord said to Satan, "'Very well then, everything he has is in your power, "'but on the man himself do not link a finger.'" So here we have this interaction between God and Satan. And God looks at Job and he says, Job is faithful. Job is blameless. He is upright. And Satan challenges that idea. Satan steps in and he says, Actually, Job is just faithful because you've given him a lot of stuff, because of the blessing that you put on his life. So Job's faithfulness invites this challenge. On to Job himself from Satan. This is very important for you and I to understand because I think faithfulness often invites a challenge from Satan. In fact, I think it's paramount that this happens. We see this all throughout scripture, right? We see that when people remain faithful to God, Satan's gonna step in and try to turn their faithfulness into something else. He's gonna try to disprove their faithfulness. We see it happen all the time. We see it happen with David. David is this man after God's own heart. And yet, what happens? Satan steps in and he says, Well, what happens if, I don't know, the king that's taken you under his wing, God's anointed king turns on you and tries to kill you? Are you going to remain faithful to God then? We see this with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, These, a handful of people that are staying faithful to God despite the Babylonian exile. And then Satan steps in and he says, Well, what happens if your life is on the line? If you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace, are you going to remain faithful to God then? All these questions are asked. Peter does the same thing. This man whose faith Jesus himself said his faith would lay the foundation for Jesus's church. And then Satan steps in and he says, are you going to remain faithful when Jesus is being tortured on a cross? These questions are asked of some of the most faithful people in all of Scripture. And I think this this should reflect back on us. And we should ask ourselves, if we remain faithful to God, are we going to be above this question? If, if David, a man after God's own heart, can be, if Satan can come in and challenge him and his faithfulness, is Satan not going to try to challenge us? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what do they say? They say, I know God has the power to save us, but even if he doesn't, I'm going to remain faithful. Think of Peter, right? Peter fails the test at first. Peter denies Christ three times. Which one are we going to be? Are we going to remain faithful to God despite the challenge? Or are we going to turn? This is the question that's being asked of Job. If you and I are faithful to God, then we invite this challenge from Satan. We're not above it. This is important for us to understand. Jesus himself goes through this. Jesus, the Son of God. In Matthew chapter 4, we get this story where he goes into the wilderness to pray, and all of a sudden, Satan steps in and challenges him, right? He asks the question. He says, If you'll just bow down and worship me, what's he saying? Don't be faithful to God. Turn right? That's the question that he's asking Jesus. If you just bow down and worship me, I'll give you everything that God has promised you. And of course, we know because Jesus is the holy, perfect son of God, he resists that challenge. If Jesus himself is not above the challenge of Satan, do you really think you and I are going to be above the challenge of Satan? Faithfulness to God invites a challenge from Satan, and we have to be ready for that, So how do we become ready for that? Well, I think Job, this first chapter, really gives us an outline for how we remain faithful for God. The very first thing that we see is what did Job do with his life before the challenge was invited? How did Job live his life? Look at verses 4 through 5. It says, His sons used to hold a feast in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. Job lived his daily life. Before Satan steps in and changes his circumstances, Job lives his daily life staying faithful to God. Job creates a pattern of faithfulness to God. I love the phrase that he puts there. He says this was job 's regular custom. The Hebrew phrase there actually can be translated to he did this daily." this wasn 't aI just show up to church and I do this once a week this wasn 't a you know whenever you know I do my devotional. This was something that job practiced every day in the middle of God blessing him with all of his possessions with this beautiful family with everything that God had given him Job practiced faithfulness this should be the model that you and I experience i mentioned this this kind of you know definition of who job is in these first few verses this isn't just too dissimilar from us the question is though Are we responding in it the same way that Job is responding in it? Are we setting a course of faithfulness? Are we putting a pattern in our lives of faithfulness through the blessing? I mentioned that faithfulness to God can invite this challenge from Satan, but I think a lot of times, and this is a very dangerous place to be, I know this because this is the place that I have often been, is that I get so comfortable in the blessings of this world, I get so comfortable in what I view as God blessing me that I start to lay off my faithfulness to God. I start to not set that pattern in my life. And then what happens? Well, there are a couple different things that happen. I can get hit with the challenge like Job did, and then I'm not prepared because I don't know how to respond to it. Or, and I think this is maybe even more dangerous, Satan can just leave me in that moment of blessing. He'll take his hands off me because I'm not blameless and upright like Job. I'm not living my life the way that Job is. And so Satan doesn't invite that challenge. And then here I am stuck in this blessing, or at least what I view as a blessing, and I'm not remaining faithful to God. And Satan's like, this is exactly where I want you. Yeah, I think you and I have to view our lives. We have to look at our lives through that lens and say, is God truly blessing me in my life? Or has Satan have me in this moment? Now, I'm not saying that in order to remain faithful to God, your entire life has to fall apart. Everything has to be in shambles. Thank goodness that's not the case. But I do think that as Christians, it's taught all throughout Scripture, we are going to face trials and temptations. We are going to face tests and struggles. And when that happens, are we going to be prepared? I think the answer to that is going to be found in how we lived our lives before that. That's at least what Job's situation is, right? Job is faithful to God. His regular custom, his daily habits, his, his you know, pattern of his life is a pattern of faithfulness. And yes, that invites the challenge, but it also shows that Job is able to overcome that challenge because of his faithfulness to God. We see that, right? Verses 21 through 22, Job's response to everything that happens to him is a response of faithfulness. He says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. This is such an interesting response here. Job recognizes that God gives, but God also has the ability to take away. And I think this is, at least from my experience of reading Job, this is the part that's a little bit uncomfortable. We're okay with this idea that Satan can step in and challenge us. We're okay that sin is in this world and that sin can cause problems with us, at least to an extent. But this idea that God can take from us, that God can reach in and you know, we see God's role in it, right? With his his he offers Job up. He says, Have you considered my servant Job? That's such like a that's such a humbling phrase. I think in that moment, like if if God ever said that phrase with my name in it which I don't think has ever happened but if he did I'd be extremely humbled but I also be pretty scared right like that's not like honestly I think I'd be better off if he just left my name out of it but that's where Job is because of the way Job has left his life lived his life right he offers him up god gives and god takes away and what we see here is that the things that define Job, the things that brought Job joy—his family, his life, his status, all those things—they quickly switch, and they become the things that bring Job the greatest sorrow in this world. And I think this is important for you and I to understand, is that because we live in this fallen world, because we live in a world full of sin, that there's really no thing outside of the salvation that Jesus offers us that can bring us true, pure joy completely all the time. If we hang our hat, if we hang our joy completely on our family, it's often going to let us down. I started talking about this idea of like how much joy our family has brought us, and I think that's true. I hope that's true in a lot of ways, but also, let's be real here, I think a lot of us know that family can let us down and often be the source of some of the deepest pain in our life right? I've been extremely blessed with the family that I have. My, my parents love each other. They love me. I have wonderful brothers and siblings. None of them are quite as great as me, but they're pretty good. And i you know, grandparents, it goes on and on, but I can also think of like some of the biggest struggles in my life and it can be connected with some of the things that I've experienced with my family. So this this area, this thing that's caused me the greatest joy also has caused me some of the greatest sorrow in my life. Same thing with work, right? This, you know, Job it mentioned what Job does and his possessions. We've all experienced that. Even if you have your dream job where you're doing everything you've ever wanted to do, there are still moments in work where it's just not the greatest, right? It's, it's a struggle to get through. You can't base your entire happiness off of what you do, the things that you have. Your social status, same thing. I think we live in a generation, at least my generation, of like people who put way too much emphasis on their social status and I think social media has a, a large portion of play on that, it's going to let you down. It's It might bring you some joy, but it's also going to bring you sorrow. And this is the the difficult thing about the world that we live in. I was homeschooled growing up, for those of you who don't know, um, and despite my best efforts, my mom instilled in me a deposit of, of poetry that has stuck with me um, up to this point and maybe even grown to an appreciation though. Don't tell her I've ever said that. Um, and I, when I was reading through this and I was thinking about how things can often cause us joy, but also be the same things that cause us sorrow, I was reminded of this poem that I'm going to quote a, a portion of it for you. Hopefully it will help you understand it better. It did for me at least. Um, it says, your joy is your sorrow unmasked, and the self-same well from, where from which your laughter often rises fills your t- is filled with tears. And how else can it be? The deeper that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. Is not the cup that holds your wine the very cup that was burdened in the potter's oven? And is not the loot that soothes your spirit the very wood that that was hollowed out with knives? When you are joyous, look deep into your heart and you shall find that it is only that which has given you sorrow that is giving you joy." And when you are sorrowful, look again into your heart, and you shall see that in truth you are weeping for that which has been your delight. Some of you say joy is greater than sorrow, and others say, nay, sorrow is greater. But I say unto you, they are inseparable. I think this is such a, you know, I think this kind of puts it in perspective. There are things that cause us great joy. There are things that define who we are, and we appreciate but because of the brokenness of our world, those are also often the same things that cause us great sorrow. And this is the experience that you and I have recognized if we put our faith in Christ, because we recognize that this world doesn't offer us enough to be truly happy for eternity. Because this world's broken, we need something more. We need the blood of Christ. We need what God has offered us. This is the problem that Job finds himself in, is that he's... His life was defined by all these things, and then all these things were taken from him. But Job remains faithful because Job recognizes that his happiness, his joy, his sorrow, all of these things don't have to be hung on those things. If he remains faithful to God, God won't fail him. Job never really understands why he goes through what he goes through. This is super interesting. If you read throughout the book of Job, unfortunately, um, Pastor Price— well. Pastor David. He told me not to call him Pastor Price when I spoke to him last. Pastor David only allowed me one week, so I'm not going to go through the entire book of Job in one week. We're just going to stick to the first chapter. It was tempting to, because there's a lot in there that I love. Um, But if if you get to the, the end of the book of Job, when God actually steps up and answers Job's question, he doesn't really answer the question that Job asks. Job is like, why are these things happening? And God doesn't tell him. God steps in and God says, I'm in control. He gives him this beautiful picture of the universe and how God works through it and how God's divine powers control everything in our universe, but he doesn't answer Job's actual question. You and I understand why Job's going through it, but think about your life and the struggles that you've gone through. Do you always understand why you go through certain struggles? I think oftentimes we feel lost, or at least my experience is we do. the Bible gives us several reasons why we go through trials and temptations. There's uh, you know, condemnation for sin. I think oftentimes you might know if that's the case, or at least you should. Um, but also to glorify God, to be tested, such as in Job's case. And we don't often know when those things are happening. But what we do know, based off the book of Job, is that if we remain faithful to God, God won't let us down. We're called to remain faithful to him. So God is this one thing that offers us true joy, eternal joy. And we see when we get into latter parts of scriptures, especially revelations and in times, that we're promised this reality where everything is pure joy, where we no longer have to deal with pain and sorrow. This is the hope that you and I have as Christians, right? Our reality has been changed because of what Christ has done for us. Job's reality was completely switched into this horrible situation where he's lost everything. But Job remains faithful to God because he knows God is the one who allows realities to be changed. If you'll turn with me to Ephesians chapter two. We're gonna go to Ephesians chapter two and I think Paul kind of touches on this and this is gonna hopefully drive this home a little bit more and make it more um, applicable to you and I, right? What does Job's situation mean to you and I? Ephesians chapter two, we're going to read verses one through five. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That's our situation. That was our reality before Christ stepped in, right? All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by very nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, this is where our situation starts to change. This is where God steps in and changes, right? Because of our great love for us, or excuse me, his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. If you keep reading on to verse 8, he tells us that that grace, that salvation comes through faith. Faith is powerful. Job's original faith, Job's faith in God before anything in his life changed for the worse, is what changed his reality. and Because of that, Job knows he recognizes that when God takes everything away from him, when his entire life is flipped, if he remains faithful to God, he won't be let down. Job hangs his hat on this idea of faith. And here, Paul is making the same point. Paul is saying, Hey, look at all that God's done for you. When you put your faith in God, He changed your reality. You were dead, you had nothing. It's kind of this. Uh, really when i think of like this visual picture i think of where job finds himself where he's sitting in the ash and there's nothing around him right but that's that's physical that's where we were spiritually we were dead but because of what god has done for us our situation's been changed so we know when we face these these trials and these temptations like job does if we remain faithful then god will remain faithful to us paul furthers this point if you'll turn with me to chapter 6 Ephesians chapter 6. Now right before this, Paul lists this whole thing where he talks about what each one of us should do. He says, if you're a husband, love your wife. If you're a wife, love your husband. If you're a child obey your parents if you're a slave obey your master if you're a master take care of and be kind to your slave right he's giving us all these directions what's he talking about here well some of these are specific examples but really what he's doing is he's laying out a pattern of faithfulness in whatever situation that we're supposed to be in it's the same thing that job's going through paul is saying i don't care what your situation is i think he, the exact phrase he uses he says whether you're a slave or free right? You could, you could really view that as whether you're being blessed by, by God right now in your situation, in your circumstance, or if, if you feel like everything's been taken away from you and you're being tested by God right now in your situation and circumstance. And what does Paul call us to do? He calls us to remain faithful. And then Paul goes deeper with it in chapter 10, or excuse me, chapter 6, verse 10. Um, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, he gives us this this view of our situation in the same way that the author of Job does for Job's situation. He pulls back the curtain and he says, the struggles that you're going through and the blessing that you're experiencing, it doesn't matter which one you're in, there's something deeper going on. There's something bigger going on. We're in this spiritual battle. And so he calls us to remain faithful to God, right? How do we do that? We put on the full armor of God to remain faithful to him, when the devil attacks us. And then if you go down to verse, um, excuse me, verse 16, I think this is the one that I really want to focus on here. Verse 16, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So when Paul tells us, hey, remain faithful to God, set this pattern in your life so that you can be successful when Satan attacks you, one of the things that he focuses on is faith. Faith is hugely important for you and I being successful in how we follow Christ. Notice how he describes it. He says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Think of Job's situation. Job is sitting there. He's got his family. He's got you know all of his possessions. He's got his reputation. He has everything God has blessed him with. And then all of a sudden, Satan, one by one, starts shooting these arrows and taking them out one by one. What protects Job in this situation? It's his faith. It's the shield that keeps him from falling and turning against God. That's the power that faith has. That's what you and I are called to do. Job may not realize it. He may not view it this way, but his faith becomes the shield that protects him from what Satan is doing. And I don't want to, I think a lot of times we can read this verse, or at least I do. I read this verse and I start to belittle my situation that I'm going through or my circumstance. And I don't want to do that with any of you all. Again, the things that we experience, right? Just like the, the example I gave at the beginning, the things that we experience, they're real. It may not be the complete story, but they are real. What you're going through, the struggles that you're going through are real, right? If you lose a child the way that Job does, that pain is real like I don't know I can only imagine but that pain is very serious right those things are real so I don't think Paul here is trying to belittle the situation that you're experiencing I think he's trying to use that as a reference point he's saying imagine your greatest pain this is where your pain is the struggle the trial that you're going through faith is greater than that so he really is showing us how great faith actually is that it can overcome even the hardest trial and temptation that we face. Jesus preaches this, right? Jesus tells his disciples that faith the size of a mustard seed can overcome a mountain. He doesn't say, or move a mountain, excuse me. He doesn't say, hey, if you have faith, all of a sudden the mountain gets smaller and you can scale it, right? He's not belittling the mountain. The mountain's there. It's just faith is greater than that. And that's what I think Paul is getting at. So here's the question. In Job's life, how does Job overcome this terrible situation? Well, Job, he relies on his Pattern of faith, and he continues in that pattern of faith even through trials and temptations. Here, Paul in Ephesians is saying, How do you remain faithful to God? You rely on this pattern that you've set. Whatever your situation is, you remain faithful to God. Because if you have that faith, you'll be able to extinguish all the arrows that Satan is continually firing at you. You'll be able to overcome all the trials and the temptations that Satan is firing at you. So I think I'm going to leave us with this question. I think we have to examine our lives in the same way that the author of Job examines his life. What is your situation right now? What are you in? Are you in a period of blessing like Job, where, or at least Job at the very beginning, where God has given you all these things, right? God has blessed you with all these things. If you are, are you remaining faithful to God in that period, or perhaps maybe you 're in this period where you are struggling where god 's taken away from you, or god 's allowed sorrows and hardships in your life if that 's the case, are you remaining faithful it 's really the same question either way. Have we set this pattern of faithfulness to our lives and I think there's several different ways we can do this. I was thinking through um, I, we read this book last year at, at the UTC BCM, um, which is where I met the vast majority of people that I know here. Um, we read this book called Spiritual Disciplines, and it's all about these like habits that we set in our life that set us up for success. And you can go through it's, you know, a, a daily walk with God through his word, daily, a healthy prayer life, fasting, all of these things. And I think that's part of it, right? You know, staying connected in a, a, a church, right? A local community of believers. All of those things are part of this pattern that we set up through faith, but I think sometimes it's, it goes even beyond that, and it's these everyday decisions. Are your thoughts constantly focused around God, or are you allowing your thoughts to stray? That's something that I really struggle with, right? Um, when no one else is around and you have to make a decision, right? I think the the example of I thought was always like, you know, if I cheat on this quiz. No one's going to know, you know, I'm in online school, so it's just like me and the computer. Except for God's watching, right? God's looking at what I'm doing. That's what we see in Job, right? When you have this, you know, as a parent, your children are watching, you're setting an example for your children. Are your, are your the, the pattern that you're setting in your life, is it resembling a pattern of faithfulness to God, even in the mundane, even in the blessing and in the struggle? That's what Paul calls us to do. That's what the book of Job is about. So my encouragement to you, I guess the thing that I'm going to leave you with is examine your life and look at the patterns that you're setting in your life. Are you setting a pattern of faithfulness? And my encouragement to you would be to do that no matter what your situation is. I don't know where you're at. You probably don't know where I'm at, right? We all have struggles. We all have times of blessing. My prayer would be times of blessing, but struggles happen and they're, they're for a reason, are you remaining faithful? Do you have a pattern of faithfulness to God? If you'll close with me in prayer real quick, and then I think we're going to jump into another song. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your ability to overcome our circumstances. God, thank you for the power that you have to flip our circumstances. God, it's this power that changed my life when I was dead in my transgression. God, it's this power that has given me hope for the future. God, but with that, I have to accept the same way that Job did, that you have the ability to take away as well. God, and I pray that each and every one of us would recognize your ability to do that. God, that we would humble ourselves to a pattern of faithfulness in our lives. God, that we would set ourselves up for success to lead as an example the way that Job did when we faced trials and temptations. God, help us to fall back on you, to remain faithful to you in all struggles in our life and in all blessing in our life. Again, God, I thank you for this opportunity to be here to study your word. Be with us this morning as we close out this service. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
1: Thank you, Will, for bringing the word uh,
3: to us today and I feel challenged and in, in the best way of remembering the importance of the spiritual training, which is something we talked about at the men's retreat, of this training in the spiritual disciplines and preparing in all seasons. Paul tells Timothy be ready in season and out of season. Uh, and complacency so easily and quickly sets in. And I wanna, Will, I wanna, I wanna springboard off one thing you said. When we're talking about the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness of man, and there's this testing and this trying that we absolutely experience, but the crazy thing, the mind-boggling thing is is comes in and 2 Timothy 2, 13, but I'll I'll read verse 12 and 11, 11 and 12 for context as well. This is Paul writing to Timothy to, to his son in the faith, a young pastor, this saying is trustworthy for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. And if we deny him, he will also deny us. That's, that's 11 through 12, which when you read that, it sounds like there's this contingency upon our actions and God's love for us, which is what we would expect, because that's how we we naturally view each other, and therefore we also typically view God in that. But then he hits us with this crazy thing, verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And so even as we go through these trials and we have this absolute prerogative and, uh, motivation to train ourselves in godliness, we, we look back to the example of Peter and Jesus. And when that trial came that you mentioned with Peter, and in and, and his faithfulness, it was invited. And Peter fell flat on his face three times. And what did Jesus say to Peter three times? What did he do to Peter three times? He restored him. And so let's, brothers and sisters, let's push on as Will has so implored us. And thank you for bringing the word And also remember, man, that anchor is sure no matter what. And so let's live in light of that grace and live with the absolute motivation to worship him. So if you'll rise, we are now going to sing.